You're listening to Those Dramginzers with your hosts, John and Zach. Hey everyone, I'm John and I'm Zach and welcome to Those Dramginzers where we drink bourbon and talk about it. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm glad that I finished editing the uh, Pitcher Whiskey Table round one. That was um, that was interesting. Yeah, I had some some audio issues that I didn't really realize I had, but now I know. So now I'm smarter ish. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm not gonna you know beat around the bush here because you guys can read the description, so you know exactly what you know what you're about to listen to. So. We are very, very excited. We've been wanting to do this since we started this show, and I'm glad we finally were able to make the, the calendars work out. But we are at Wiggle, and we are sitting with Meredith and Alex Grelly, uh, co-owners, co-founders, co-any other co-whatever. <laughs> Co-wizards. Uh, Co-wizards, co- yeah, of uh, Wiggle Whiskey. So thanks for coming on the show with us. Yeah, I'll be here. Happy to be here. All right, so um, I have some questions that I tried to – when we do these, like, create, like these kind of interviews, right, I try to be very uh, professional of, like, doing research beforehand, right? So um, this particular first episode we're going to release is going to hit on the, the background of, you know, you guys uh, – because this is family-operated, right? Family-owned and operated, yeah, right? So, kind of the background on how you got into it, and and details of distillery, barrel house, now Threadbare, you know, kind of the details of like all those and how those came. So, um, you guys technically opened the doors in March 2012, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but before that, you were you played a hand in passing what did I House Bill 242 in December of 2011, which. Uh, you want to explain what that did for for you guys and for other other wannabe not wannabe other soon to be distilleries in the area up and coming up and coming. Thank you. Yeah, so House Bill two four two actually passed on Alex's birthday. It was a great birthday present. Ah. Um, before that, uh, we had spent the prior two years working with uh, two other distilleries that existed in the state, um, and our. Um, state legislators to put this uh, bill together and to push it through. Uh, the bill allowed uh, limited distilleries, those that produce under 100,000 proof gallons a year, to sample and sell their products directly to consumers, which mm-hmm. is essential to um, any small distillery's uh, being. Mm-hmm. And so this craft community that has grown, has really grown as a result of this legislative environment that came out of that mm-hmm. bill. So what you're saying is you could have opened the doors, but you wouldn't have been able to, if you would have had to gone through what a distributor to be able to sell your own stuff. If this bill hadn't, hadn't gone through, if the bill hadn't have gone through, we would have had to have operated in the same manner as a large alcohol company, mm-hmm. similar to a Diageo. Mm-hmm. Okay. The model there is you produce one product, you produce it as efficiently as possible, you produce it somewhere far away from an urban center, you distribute it as widely as possible. 
Um, and we looked at that model and said, well, a Diageo is going to beat us at sales and marketing every single day mm-hmm. and pricing. That does not make sense. What we need is a model that accommodates um, innovation, mm-hmm. quality, education. Uh, and that requires us to have our consumers right up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of trying to play Diageo's game, let's change the game and make it work for uh, smaller producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we did. And if you look at the distilleries that predated Wiggle in the state, they really were producing wonderful products and they were producing them under that uh, large uh, spirits producer model. So one of the distilleries that um, was an inspiration to us was uh, Philly Distilling and Blue Coat Gin. Mm-hmm. And they were producing far outside an urban center. They were producing one product as efficiently as they could from grain neutral spirit, distributing it as widely as they could and doing a brilliant job of marketing and selling it. Um, and again, when we saw that, we said that's going to be harder in the whiskey space. And we really, we want to push on the edges of spirits production. We want to have a local supply chain. We want to make Monongahela rye whiskey from local grain. And all of that requires us to have direct connection to our consumers. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's it's something details that people don't think about, right? When you just, oh, I'm just going to open the distillery and, and cool, I can sell it because you know, um, not in Pennsylvania. No, not here at least. <laughs> but now I can. So, so if you guys haven't passed that bill, basically, because I know you guys, Wiggle, kind of has a reputation of being kind of very experimental, very much in like the forefront of coming up with new flavors and and, and, and that kind of a, an approach. You guys wouldn't have been able to do that had you been stuck with this like macro distillery kind yeah, of Yeah, and we wouldn't have been able to even do, I don't think, successfully our core products. Right. I mean, really, our entire model is built on this direct connection with our end consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the business is quite challenging. There are lots of hurdles to the whiskey business, and for a small producer, without those direct sales, mm-hmm. it would be hard even for some a company that had a much pared down portfolio to exist and thrive. Did I hear you right? Did you say you guys wouldn't have even been able to hand out samples at that film not passed? I think there might have been rules against providing samples. Um, you know, the most the regular distillery rules. I think you can sell directly to certain consumers, but not even on your premises. It's, wow, uh, it's, it's a strange law. Thank God it's history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had mentioned, you know, I want to make Nongahela rice. Right. So one of my, two of my questions are, why whiskey? Why get into that? I think in terms of uh, when we were thinking about doing some production in craft alcohol, we were familiar with a lot of the different Distilleries that have been popping up, such as Philadelphia Distilling doing gin, mm-hmm. their you know absinthe was coming back, um, and you had your OW distilleries out in California and the West Coast. Whiskey hadn't really been; <clears throat> that was still kind of uh, new because of the time it takes um, to make the whiskey. So we both liked whiskey a lot, and we felt like there was an opening in, in the whiskey space for craft distilleries, especially. Um, Pittsburgh having this heritage of Monagale Rye, creating this community gathering spot and kind of creating a, a business that's centered around that heritage. 
really felt like a compelling story um, that landed at the right point in the right time. Yeah, you know, we felt like if we were, we knew we wanted to do something in craft alcohol and we enjoy wine and spirits and beer all quite a bit. And we felt that as Pittsburghers, it was our responsibility really to play in the space that um, we had this heritage and uh, we, how could we possibly be from Pittsburgh and produce anything mm-hmm. except whiskey? Mm-hmm. If we were in California, like Alex said, and we started a distillery there, we probably would have focused on the agriculture around there and produce brandies or these based on the fruit mm-hmm. that was grown there. But we are Pittsburghers, and so we may thrive. And when we were starting it, you know, we uh, there we, we had talked about potentially doing beer as part of the business model. And at the time, there was East End Brewery, Church Brewworks, and Penn Brewery, and we were like, I, it's a really crowded space. I know we shouldn't, you know, we may not be able to <laughs> yeah. jump in because of how many breweries there are and how well established they are. So crowded in, in 2000, you know, 2010. Right? Yeah. Now, now it's, ooh, no. it's super crowded. Right? <laughs> so that was, it's always fun to look back at that discussion. So, uh, and we'll get, we'll, we'll get hypothetical here if you guys want to, but did you ever make it before, make whiskey before you decided to? Well, we had two years of startup time. Uh, well, we were, we were both, we were doing a few things simultaneously. We were building out the distillery spot on the Strip District. We were mm-hmm. having our still built outside of Munich. Um, and we were lobbying the state to change this law. And we were also... Um, working with Michigan State University on some pilot whiskey. So Yeah, so we did the test batches of whiskey through Michigan State University. Um, we went to classes at Michigan State University on artisan distilling. We read pretty much any textbook we could get our hands on. Um, the combination of reading all of those materials, doing a test batch, working on protocols, uh, we'd come to a... Uh, a method to kind of get started that was very conservative and worked well for white whiskey in the beginning, but it was definitely something in which we had to uh, push the boundaries on in either direction of experimentation to explore different distillation methods with the idea of aging whiskey for longer and longer. The the methods you want to use for making a a white whiskey are very different than the whiskey you want to put in a barrel and age. And then same thing with creating new products. We had to build out our back bar uh, and create new products. And each time we did a new product, we would learn something new about the production process. And so that was a very, very much a process of learning um, and experimentation. And I think that, you know, the industry, both the whiskey industry writ large, as well as the craft space 10 years ago, was quite different. In the last decade, a lot has happened. There are so many more industry resources now. We have two trade organizations that focus on education. When we were doing this, there wasn't a heck of a lot out there, especially about pot distillation. And so I think that forced us, in in some ways that was a real gift because it forced us to develop our own methodology that's very much intrinsic to how we operate our own training and protocols that make our spirits very unique. We have an Alembic run still, um, you know, where we're producing whiskeys that are, are produced in a different way than really uh, the vast majority of craft distilleries even in the country. And 
none of that would have happened, I think, if we had entered into a more developed market. Mm-hmm. And we, I think that became even clearer to us when we opened our sister company, Red Bear Cider, uh, which is, you know, we walked into a much more developed market and we had the benefit there of having a wide group of winemakers and cider makers that came to us with knowledge, mm-hmm. um, with industry expertise. Um, and that is such a different experience than what we had with uh, Wiggle. So you guys kind of kind of got super lucky. You, you came in, you started it, and then all of a sudden the bourbon boom happened. And now it's just, you know, things that were on the shelf very easily 10 years ago is not readily available anymore. Do you think that the that helped? Like the bourbon boom, the 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 more not care for whiskey, but care for the the finer whiskeys and what do you think that helped with your like where you guys are at now? Um, I think so. You know, we have our initial consumer that we really um, started speaking to. We call them our taste pioneers, and they were pretty new to the bourbon mm-hmm. space. Most likely, they. Um, were people who largely the whiskey industry hadn't spoken to in decades. Um, And, you know, we really worked to try to bring them into the fold. So we certainly benefited from this cultural movement that happened. But I would say it was more along the lines of farm to table. If you Mm -hmm. remember 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, Mm -hmm. the farm to table movement was really taking hold. Um, You had farmer's markets and CSAs and people were really interested about where their food came from and how it was made. And Wiggle was very much a part of that community. Um, and now I would say we see more of the seasoned whiskey drinker looking to explore beyond their favorite brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a more recent development. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the bourbon boom is very much um, driven by you know, a lot of age statements and other aspects of whiskey that, say, a young craft distillery doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So, again, we're, we're putting out products that are very different than what is on the market and what uh, the bourbon boom is pushing. But I agree with Meredith that, you know, the halo around the bourbon industry combined with uh, the, the local craft-produced alcohol, that definitely drove customers to explore at the distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in doing research, where's my? Wasn't you guys weren't on it, but they reviewed uh, the the Pennsylvania bourbon, and it was uh, Whiskey Tribe Whiskey Vault's YouTube channel, and they, and to use their words, have mad respect for you guys because of the different thing. You're not just sticking to the standard, you know bourbon rye whatever you're you're you're, you are pushing at boundaries you're you're trying to color a little bit outside the lines with all these different the kilted rye. i mean the ones that are right in front of me for example kilted rye the northern exposure um i'm trying to think of another one i've had before the the smoke the you know all the different things you're just like it could be more than what these standard offerings are and um yeah i just thought that was that was pretty interesting you know for people who aren't Pittsburgh, you know, they bleed black and gold, and you know what I mean. That are very much uh, love the city and love everything that's about the city. So for these guys that are, I don't know where they are, they're not here, mm-hmm. but um, to just their glowing review of your guys' stuff is just like, oh, yeah, cool. So 
Yeah, I think it's the responsibility in some ways, or we've taken it on as a responsibility to really push, push, you know, the production um, and what we play with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the whiskey industry is built on tradition. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always, but the past seven decades have been built on tradition, have been built on, like Alex said, age statements. Mm-hmm. The conversation usually stops mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And there hasn't been a heck of a lot of innovation um, and in part, that's really about the consolidation. It speaks to the consolidation of the industry until recently. Um, and we really wanted to expand the conversation beyond um, how long something sits in a barrel because there's mm-hmm. so many interesting mm-hmm. ways you can think about production. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where consumers have gravitated towards uh, as well. And that, and- Kind of to go towards that point, uh, and I, I think the whiskey industry is still not even close to being where, say, you think craft breweries push craft beer. Like, if you think that all beer used to be pilsners and lagers before the craft brewery movement, whiskey right now, you are drinking the lager of whiskey, you know, or the pilsner of whiskey. It's all made from, you know, base malts and corn, you know, very simple grains, but there's a the brewing industry is using a wide variety of malts out there. And I think there's a way in which, you know, we try to integrate different malts, whether or not it's through brewer series to kind of explore the different flavors, different grains can um, contribute to a, a whiskey base. But I think it is starting to happen. You know, the Ricin wrote an article recently about different mm-hmm. grains and their use in uh, not only in scotch, but in American whiskey. Um, I think there's still so much unexplored potential and so much education at the consumer level because if a consumer tastes a, a whiskey that's been distilled from malt, like uh, dark roasted malt grains, it doesn't taste like whiskey to them. Like when we taste them on a distilled stout beer, they're like, this doesn't taste like whiskey. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't taste like a Pilsner. Yeah. So, yeah. So then, wanting to kind of shake things up, wanting to approach this more of a craft as opposed to, you know, the, just the quote-unquote like tradition, um, is there kind of like a core question you guys ask yourselves before you start a new whiskey? Is there, is there kind of like a starting point that you guys kind of look at the market and think, where do we have room to play, things like that? Um, <laughs> Yeah, we've approached innovation. We have three roots of innovation. And um, the first is sort of tinkering. It's our constant improvement of core products. And that's, in many ways, the most important, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be through increased age statements or transitioning things to different barrels or through uh, looking at our production protocol. Uh, The second avenue of innovation for us... uh, our products that we produce one or two of these a year, they are consumer-led projects. Uh, and we spend um, at least a year in development with these projects. Um, we start by asking consumers what they want to see from us, and we go from there. And we do a ton of testing and iterations, um, and that culminates in blind testing where we're um, testing what we've developed against what we think 
is the industry gold standard. Mm -hmm. And once our product beats that in blind tasting in a statistically significant sample set, mm -hmm. then we release it. Okay. Um, our third sort of pathway is what we call our whims, and those are internally driven. So they are scratching our own curiosities or our team members. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes those have long lives in the market, mm -hmm. but that's not why we build them or make them. They really are um, intended as ways for us to explore our own production or flavor curiosity. So, or partnerships um, with other local producers or regional producers. Um, so our brewery partnerships um, are examples of that. Okay. So really kind of scratching that creative itch, really keeping us on our toes. Yeah. Yeah, I think both of those will scratch a lot of creative itches. I think the year-long ones, so much thought goes into it, it's not as impulsive. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, the whim is very much... Let's do an endogenous yeast and whiskey and see what happens. Or let's yeah. make a, an Amaro. And, you know, the Amaros are fine. And that still took us like four years. I know. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's something that there's never going to be a significant commercial viability for. But it's, um, you know, it's fun to do. It, it, there are some reasons to have it for back bar purposes. Mm -hmm. or, um, we learn new production methods. We learn more about flavors. More so local farmers. We yeah. get to know different orchards. Yeah. So when you come out with something that's pushing the boundaries, and, you know, um, one thing we both love is the amount of detail you guys put on the bottles. Not just your label, but I'm talking, like, the barrel number. What... What grains did you put? You know, I really love the the openness that you guys do that with the labels. So if if you come out with something new and, and edgy, if you want to call it that, and someone looks at the thing and it says, you know, age statement of, I don't know, 13 months or something, you know, it's not like you just said 14 months ago, hey, let's try this, throw it in the thing, throw it in a barrel, and we'll see what happens in a year. Like there's there's significant thought, even on the whims, right? There's significant thought behind all these new and funky things that you guys are trying to do. Yeah, I mean, to get a product through at this point, you know, we've made a lot of products in the past um, what, what's, years. How many, how many products since you started having? I don't know. We've never counted. We've, but, you know, we have, um, one of our good friends is a brewer mm -hmm. locally, and he, um, we always talk about this because, for us in the spirit space, it's considered radical to invest in um, in innovation as much. Meaning, we have someone full time who's dedicated to innovation. That's his whole job. That's awesome. Um, we produce ten percent of what we produce is is new product, and we ensure that throughout the production schedule, all of that. And our brewer friend always remarks at how crazy it is that people think that's so wild because if he does not produce 36 new beers a year, he is considered a terrible craft brewer. <laughs> and oh it's the same process, except that we end up putting it in a barrel. Yeah, age. it's right. for a bit. But it, it requires the same internal resources. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. um, so we have produced a lot of product. And at this point, we know um, a lot of things that you know, we really like and would like to continue to further explore. And we know the areas that even if we want to explore it, there's really consumers want support that exploration. 
And so I think we've learned a lot about what passes sort of the gate in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that have done really well from our perspective in terms of taste or product development. And then we just haven't figured out how to communicate it to the consumer, mm-hmm. uh, not only from the perspective of being an American whiskey producer or an American craft whiskey producer, but uh, you know, some whiskeys are harder to communicate, such as meat whiskey, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. other things. <laughs> and most people are like, what's meat whiskey? You know? uh, but then we have so many things that you can't even call whiskey, and uh, what it is on the label is probably five sentences long. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it has to be hand-sold because of that. Right. What would you, let's go through a couple of different specifics here. What's your most successful one that you've made so far? Product? Yeah. Ever? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I mean, suggesting that your favorite kid is. Right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of, but you know, hey, hard-hitting questions here. I mean, we questions. Make, I mean, still the 90% of what we make are bourbon and rice. Mm-hmm. And so those will always be the bread and butter, the heart and soul of Wiggle. Um, and we've done, you know, iterations of expressions on each of those, but mm-hmm. those will always be mm-hmm. our best selling. People are always on lookout for a bourbon. Was, right. Is there any that, I'm trying to word this correctly. That didn't pan out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and things cannot pan out for so many reasons. Um, so I think often, that some of our tequila experiments, and it's, and it's not tequila itself, but it's, Again, exploring what can whiskey be. And mm-hmm. so it's like, let's make something as close to a mezcal or a tequila as we can with whiskey. Okay. So it's mm-hmm. mesquite smoked malt, huh. um, aged in used tequila barrels um, exclusively for over four years. So the oak flavor is super light. It's smoky. It's got that brininess of the malt. But guess what? It doesn't taste like whiskey. Yeah. You know, and right. so, and it hasn't been in a charred barrel, so you don't have that oak. And if you give it to someone who's like tasting it from the perspective of, here, taste this, they'll be like, oh, wow, this is really cool. It's interesting. It's good. All right, I'm going to go buy a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I think, when did you do that? Uh, that was, I mean, that was a lot, like six years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Because I remember we came for, we did the Barrel House yeah. tour for a bachelor party, and there was some tequila something or other. I mean, that's it, and we probably still have a couple boxes. Because <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was, it yeah. was one of the, the pours we got on the, on, on the Barrel tour. And that's something I want to point out that I, I really enjoy, and I've boasted about your Barrel House tour. To, I ran into random people who were visiting from other states and I, they were like, we're going to go see it. And I was like, you got to get to the brow house. You know, if it's, uh, it was during season. So yeah. this was open. And I said, that's the tour. If you're a whiskey fan, that's the tour you need to do. So the other one's great. It's, it's got good history. It talks about all the, all the background with everything. I said, but if you want whiskey, you got to hit the brow house tour. And it's great because, you know, a lot of the ones when you go, we've done um, tours down in Kentucky and Tennessee and it's fun, you know, it's all kind of the same thing, but then you get a couple tastings at the end, right? Your guys is, and I hope you're still running it like this, you have tastings throughout the entire tour, right? You still running it like that? Yeah. Okay, good. Because, like, I remember we walked in and they are like, here's our white whiskey, here's our white dog. And I was like, oh, wow, we're, we're jumping. Okay, we're jumping right in this. This is perfect. And I think that's, that's so neat for you guys to do it that way. And um, I just want to commend you. Oh, thanks. Which we really love it, yeah. 
was so, and I think the, whoever I had this word that day, I think he said the reason why you guys did it like that is because you wanted the the people taking the tour to see the progression. Yeah. Of from white dog to the final product, and actually, my profile picture on Facebook is me thiefing yeah. one of the barrels because I bought a, because I bought it for the, the right. groom. We bought one of the small, you know, three seventy fives of I think it was the bourbon, whatever bourbon was up, and that's my profile picture is me thieving it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we want people to dive into the production and the history mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. on um, all of our tours, um, and so they're equal parts each of those and um we do want it to be a real learning experience we want to open the doors we want to make it very transparent i think Mm -hmm. spirits are generally um even for really educated beer and wine drinkers spirits can be a black box just the way they've been Mm -hmm. marketed and people um can't as easily or legally (laughs) yeah yeah Um, yeah so any barriers we can remove from Mm -hmm. that so let's get into some some other details about the actual the actual Nick Wiggle after Philip Wiggle who was part of the Whiskey Rebellion was uh, sentenced to hang and then he was pardoned and all this stuff so of all the historical figures from that time why did you guys land on Philip Wiggle yeah we kind of fell in love with Philip Wiggle we um, as we read more about the history and decided to dive into the distillery, you know, Wiggle is, he, he's described in historical documents as dumb, <laughs> but a very passionate whiskey maker. Okay. And his passion just got him in over his head. <laughs> and as we so were, we feel the same. <laughs> 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 we felt totally like kindred spirits to him as we were trying to start this distillery. Yeah. In over our head, driven by passion. And so it seemed, he seemed like the right guy. There are much smarter guys who helped lead the rebellion as well. And they just, for us at that time in our lives, were not a sympathetic character. <laughs> So on, on the Rebellion, right, which we've touched on multiple times, we were at the Rebellion blending event where we met you know, your dad, Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at the we festival, the festival hanging out. There. Mm-hmm. I think he was there that day, too. Um, I was there that day. Whiskey Rebellion Festival? Yeah. 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 yeah, we were chilling next to uh, the Jagoff podcast. I saw you guys. <laughs> I saw you guys. So you and your dad wrote a book. Oh, yeah, we did. The Whiskey Rebellion and the Rebirth of Rye. That was 2017, is that? I don't know. You know I, that's what it says on my... Okay, I, I just copy and pasted it from the website. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, perfect. Right. The internet would never lie. Yeah. No, never. Uh-uh. So, um, why write a book? You're, you're, this is recently you wrote this, so or at least released it. You're, you're, you're diving into the distillery. You have the barrel house, and I'm sure Threadbare was in the, at least in the thought process. Why, why dump, jump into writing a book? I wanted to capture the history of the region and also just what it was to start a distillery at this time. When we were working on building the distillery, we were so grateful for every piece of information we could get about distilleries mm-hmm. that existed pre-prohibition or during prohibition. And the information was so fragmented that the stories, I mean, this is true of any history, the stories we were able to build around were just about 
who had written, who had mm-hmm. wrote down mm-hmm. yeah. the thing. Yeah. And so it felt almost like a compulsion. Like we have to capture this moment in time because we knew the craft distilling industry was going to change significantly. And I think I started writing that book. Um, I don't know, like just a few years after we opened maybe with all your free time. <laughs> Alex is, Alex is amazing. And he would, um, I, there were a lot of weekends where he would um, hang out with our daughter and allow me to do some writing. And then I wrote my dad into it and he agreed to do, he wrote the chapter on the whiskey rebellion. And then I took care of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I met, you know, I talked to a couple of presses and ultimately met a woman who owns a press in Cleveland who came oh, for a nice stopping grounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing. Um, she came for a conference that we put on called Three Day Blow, which was a food and drink writing conference a number of years ago. Um, and she came on a tour that I gave and she said, you should write this down. And I said, I have. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And she said, nice. She published it. And he said, okay, sounds good. <laughs> that's awesome. That's very sweet. That's very cool. And you said, yeah, in all your free time. I just, when we were trying to figure this out, you were like, oh, I do this and I teach and I have kids. You guys are busy. Like, you're not just like sitting back, you know, relaxing, letting the distillery do its thing. Like, you guys are like, you're, you're adjunct at Carnegie Mellon yeah. still? Because that's, that's where you went. Correct. I did my MBA there. Yeah. MBA. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We. You know what? We. We have this philosophy, maybe anxiety, that you just have to keep moving forward. You have to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, can't collect moss, and so yeah, we continued to really work to grow Wiggle. So we and our Threadbare Sarah mm-hmm. House. So we have seven locations around the region mm-hmm. between the two, and we're distributed in a dozen states. And we get to those, um, we try to get to those a fair amount. And I do teach, and we have a kid who we like to see occasionally. <laughs> you guys use uh, what, 53 gallon? Have you always used 53, or did you start smaller when you first started? Always had some 53s, okay. and uh, we um, did start filling 15s pretty early on, though, and that was um, some 30s and 25s, mm-hmm. but we transitioned to 25s while still filling to 53s, mm-hmm. and then now we're filling exclusively 53s. And how long have we been doing just 53s? Uh, for rye, about a year and a half. Uh, exclusively, and then for bourbon, this is the will be the first year in which we're filling exclusively 53s. But last year it was like 80% was yeah. 53s. So, and I think that's something you know, when when people see age status, right? We were hitting on everyone, so people crazy about age status, the higher the better, you know, which doesn't always true. Um, you see some of some of some of yours here, and you know, it's it's 24 months, 23 months, you're like, oh. Nothing. Yeah, but if it's sitting in a 15 or a 25, one that's maybe two years sitting there is it you know, could equate to like a very long age stated 53, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's something that people don't think about. That's well, one of the dangers of falling into kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, rut, mm-hmm. I guess, as mm-hmm. an industry, which you guys seem to be like 
get out of it, you know, <laughs> um, where it's just kind of people, it's, it's easy, I think, to equate age with quality. It doesn't, it, there's, it gets rid of the need to do research, it gets rid of the need to take risks and taste things and go outside of your comfort zone, stuff like that. You can look at me and go, 20 years, that's got to be good. Meanwhile, for Christmas, I had a, what was it, 12-year-old art bag and I hated it. Disgusting. Oh, yeah. You're not an Arabic fan. It's not an Arabic. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, like I think my, I've got a wiggle wheat at home. I think it's like two years old. I love it. The, the, the bottle's half gone. So um, <laughs> yeah, you do love that. I do love yeah. that one. Um, so I just think it's good and it's cool that you guys are kind of doing the education process in addition to the distilling process mm-hmm. because there's so much more that goes into it than just a quick little bit of. I mean, you get so many people. Um, they're just like they see the word bourbon, and then they see Pennsylvania. They're like, no, that's not a, that's not a thing. It's well, like, well, if you we, actually look at the definition of bourbon, well, before we start this, I, I fell in the camp of I was like, oh, bourbon has to come from Kentucky. Exactly, exactly. It, it, I'm it's, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and, um, and, and then we got into this, and I was like, wow, I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's part of you know, same with what you guys are doing, educating the masses. You know, it's what we're we, we love to do with this show, and it's what you guys love to do, and it's why we're really glad to. To make this work, uh, what were your when you first opened? What were the first things you sold? We sold uh, white rye and uh, white wheat, and um, I'd say early on, the one thing that we changed very quickly was we used to have rye in the mash bill of the wheat, and very quickly we were like it makes the wheat too similar to the rye. Mm-hmm. And so we dropped the rye pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we first were looking at it from the perspective of how can we differentiate this wheat from other wheats on the market? And we said, well, we can add rye to it. But then that, we had to come back and look at our own portfolio. Mm-hmm. And be like, how does it differentiate in our own portfolio? And we had to kind of um, change that. So that was, it was definitely White whiskey for a while, gin we developed pretty soon after. In the first year we developed the gin, our house was full of botanicals for <laughs> And then we did our landlocked rum the, I guess in the second year. Yeah. And we spent a year on both the gin and the rum, the development of those two. The, the gin, is, is that still the Jennifer? Is that yes. the same one yes. that you started with? Okay. Although it's definitely evolved over the years. As it should. I mean, yeah. as one thing would, right. you know what I mean? You're all, right. like you said, you're, not, you're always moving forward. You're always going. Right. So, of course, you're going to be tweaking. You know, even with every show, I'm like, when I'm going back in it, like, how can I make this better? What can I? What can we do right. next time? So, of course, it would make sense that, you know, it's been eight years now. Right. Next month will be eight years. Right. Of course, it should. It should evolve. It should, you know, how can we make this better? What can we do different, you know, next time or whatnot? Until you get what, if you ever are, satisfied with it, right? <laughs> Art is never finished. It's never really abandoned. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> um, so I'm glad you guys brought that up. I, I wanted to ask the question, but I didn't know if it'd be like a cardinal sin to ask about like gin and vodka and rum on the whiskey podcast. <laughs> no. But since we're here, we we um, drank vodka on the podcast before. So. I know it's not we don't like a habit of it. No, <laughs> but it is good. But so I, I I was curious. Like you guys have like such a great array and assortment of products. What got you guys kind of interested in, in, you know, you started off with like the Monogahale rye and the wheat and stuff like that, really bringing like, you know, Pittsburgh crowd, educate people on that Monogahale rye. 
um, what got you guys kind of interested in like let's start to play with the vodkas and gin and stuff like that? What, what was other the, maybe other than the fact that the you know clear liquids are easier to to yeah I think so. Well, gin has always been a love of Alex and mine. Our first date was we went to college together in Chicago, and I don't know most normal college kids are doing keg stands or whatever. And Alex, our first date was in his dorm room. He made martinis for us. So we've always loved gin. And we especially fell in love with um, this product that Anchor Distilling produced, um, which they called Genevieve, but it was a universe-style gin. And when we had that, it was a whiskey-based gin. And we had that, and we said... Oh man, if we were going to make a gin, this would be the gin we'd want to make. And we did a little research on um, these Dutch style gins, and we learned that, in fact, Pennsylvania has a strong heritage in this, that this is the kind of gin that Pennsylvania was producing for 100 years before Prohibition. And we found a distiller's um, recipe book from the 18th century, maybe it was 19th century, it was 1800s, where they this distiller provided a number of recipes for what they called a Holland gin. And so we felt, you know, we always try to spring from... From rye. What? It was from rye, too. Yeah, and yeah. from malted barley. Rye-based gin? Yeah. Yeah. So it was making a Holland oh. gin from rye. We're, yeah. like, we're sold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, their botanical bill is we kind of left out. It was yeah. more of us being inspired. <laughs> yeah, so I spent a year working on a botanical bill and working with consumers and um and then Alex really tweaked it on the still for the next I mean five years probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a gin fan and I, I, when I, I, no, I years ago when we did the distillery tour and we yeah. and when the Ginevra was on there, I did I was like, oh this doesn't make me want to you know run up it makes me think of pine trees, but usually because my dad's a big gin fan yeah. so I'd make him gin and tonics all the time. It was just like pine tree, pine tree. But you know, I I, I actually did enjoy the the one that was in, the Jennifer that was in the, on the distillery tour. Okay. So, you know. so then, after that, you guys do vodka too, right? And we don't. We don't do. I thought I remember. We do have a vodka. Okay. It's not a core. We, okay. We don't talk about it. <laughs> That's the. We don't love edit. We, <laughs> vodka is not one of our loves. The child under the stairs. Yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we're really. It's really hard. Thing. Our still is not designed to make it. We, we never okay. set out to make it. We did set out to make gins. We had a gin basket with the original Ooh. design of the still. We had a column to make more aromatics okay. spirits, but it's only five trays. To make vodka, you need to have you know twenty one trays or whatever. Oh, and so we have to distill it like five times. It's not. Ooh. It's not, not fun uh, to do. Okay. It's, uh, to make something flavorless, you know. Yeah. Sort of against our ethos. <laughs> I guess vodka, the, the whole thing with that is... The big manufacturers make vodka really well. <laughs> um, just to jump back, because you said still. So you guys, uh, pot still or column still? Pot. pot we have still. two pot stills. Okay. And the column is detached from the still, which mm-hmm. is a fairly unique setup. Um, most often, even for a pot still, you see the column mm-hmm. right atop. Mm-hmm. Um, the pot, but we wanted to be able to um, run distillations without any reflux whatsoever. Nice. So one thing I I see with maybe just people just don't know enough 
Let's put it that way. Good chance of that. A lot of people don't know. Yeah. Is, so what I wrote is, what response do you have to the biggest negative comment that I've seen about Wiggle that it's too expensive? Well, I don't think it's too expensive. Yeah. I think that what we bring to the table is a really unique proposition. Mm-hmm. We make everything that we put into bottles ourselves, mm-hmm. which is a rarity in American distilling, no matter the size of the distillery. Mm-hmm. We've created a network of regional farms that did not exist in Western Pennsylvania, and we pay them for their grain, <laughs> which is something that did not exist mm-hmm. 10 years ago when mm-hmm. we started. Right. Mm-hmm. So we brought um, back to life several fallow farms. Um, we pay them three times the rate for their grain as a conventional, as they would get for conventional grain, because mm-hmm. we buy everything certified organic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're supporting an entire agricultural industry mm-hmm. <laughs> for the That's largest like economic mm-hmm. tree going on. Yeah. consumer of um, organic grain in the state of Pennsylvania. We pay our employees a living wage. We're the first company in the state to offer to sign on to Governor Wolf's voluntary living wage program, which means no one is getting rich, but hopefully everyone can afford to pay their rent. Mm-hmm. And we produce the highest quality whiskey we possibly can. Mm-hmm. We take absolutely no shortcuts. There are definitely ways that, you know, I always say we are for like a private equity firm's wet green. <laughs> <laughs> they would come in here and cut out so many inefficiencies, but if you want innovation and you want high quality pot distillation mm-hmm. and you want to taste what western Pennsylvania grains mm-hmm. produce we're really providing all of those things yeah. and I, I have <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll say it the most awarded craft whiskey distillery for four consecutive years from the American Craft Spirits Association oh. You know, we run a boutique kind of company, so we never got into this to be the volume pricing mm-hmm. sort of game. We sell out of everything we produce every year. Mm-hmm. There's so a reason for that. Yep. It's, it doesn't really make sense for us to try to play a lower price volume right. game. Well, not with, like Unless you said. Like Daniels have that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, you know, you're not just, you're, you're putting farms where they want. You're paying these farmers for uh, properly for their grain. You're paying your employees what should be what employees should be paid. So the ethical you, business looks like. Yeah, and you know, and and that wasn't. I wasn't trying to trap you with that question. It was just something that I see, and I just wanted to give you guys the opportunity to kind of like you know something. I, no, it's not this. It's because we do this, 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 and this. And thank you. That was a perfect answer. <laughs> well, and I think it's cool, kind of going off what you guys were saying is is as the craft distillery. Movement, the farm to table movement has taken off, continues to take off, grows and evolves. I think you find, I'm trying to think of how to say this without sounding like a dick to like 90% of America. <laughs> um, like our generation collectively in this room and younger are willing to pay a little bit more for something that's a little bit better. Even if that means something that's a little bit better 
like flavor-wise or ethically or something. So many people want their food ethically now. So many people want their businesses to run ethically now. And like, you don't just get to have your cake and eat it too. Like there needs to be some sort of like middle ground for all of that. Um, and I think more people, I think we're going to see less of that quote unquote criticism that we've seen because as those people get into this movement and everything like that, those will be the people driving this and those will be the people who see ethical businesses, quality product, living wages, farm to table, you know, all that stuff is so important. You're calling out boomers, that's what you're doing. I'm calling out boomers. Yeah. <laughs> 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 have a responsibility to see things that are entirely unique and that are valued by consumers. And so, you know, I'm looking at some of the products that Alex pulls here. You know, when we um, work, this our Lapsy Valley Indian Corn bourbon that we do. This is a bourbon that you cannot buy anywhere else. <laughs> this is a farmer, Nigel Tudor, goes around and pollinates a Wapsi Valley Indian corn, heirloom style of corn that he grows at his farm, Leatherberry Farm in Washington, PA, in Novella, PA, South Pittsburgh. Um, and he's one of the few farmers in America that is willing to grow this pain in the ass <laughs> heirloom corn. Mm-hmm. But we love it because it's packed with protein, so it produces a more savory distillate than a sweet yellow corn. So, you know, this is a very unique bourbon. Mm-hmm. Bourbon producers in Kentucky are buying bulk corn from two suppliers. It's corn from all over the country. It does not have original flavor as mm-hmm. a result. It, you can't make an argument about terroir. This is as fucking terroir as you get. <laughs> if you want to try Western Pennsylvania bourbon, this is it. Mm-hmm. And it's a deal of it. <laughs> <laughs> but even... It was expensive it was <laughs> because of the rarity. Yeah. It's, it, I think I think co- like hopefully collectively as a culture we're being less of a less of a fast food culture, less of a cheap, quick and easy, more into handcrafted quality and like. And there's there's a real reason for all of those consumer wants and needs. Mm-hmm. The cheap, fast and easy are real wants and needs. Mm-hmm. And there are brands for those people. That, that, that's been met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is filling a different mm-hmm. need. Yeah. I, I think there's also just an economic consideration of looking at, like, the there's no experiment on um, buying an expensive bottle of whiskey. It's a, it's a large cash outlay right from the beginning. But the economics are similar to craft beer in terms of rather than paying, I don't even know what cheap beer costs. It's probably under a dollar for beer. And <laughs> craft beer, people are paying what, six, six, ten dollars a beer. And so that's a multiple of six to ten times. Mm-hmm. Our whiskey does not cost ten times, ten times you know, what, yeah. mm-hmm. what the other whiskeys cost. Mm-hmm. And so, and we are making a wide range of flavors and varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's just a totally different, that cash outlay at the beginning mm-hmm. is a totally different mental mm-hmm. calculation for consumers. Mm-hmm. So what do we, what's what's in the works? What's next? Any exclusives on anything coming up, coming down the pipeline from Out of Wiggle? Yeah, we have um, a big construction project that we're just wrapping mm-hmm. up right now in the Strip District. And so Hopefully, we will be announcing an opening date very soon in the next week or so. We'll happily have you for a tour. Um, But we will be opening a restaurant 
uh, new bar and tasting room and bottle shop, and it will give us some much-needed breathing room in the distillery, <laughs> which has been sort of mm-hmm. packed to the gills. For oh so yeah, long. it's super. It's super tiny in, in there. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of whiskey comes out. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I just I love when you first. And, and, you know, I don't know what your design plans are, and I'm not an interior designer or anything, but I just do love when I walk into the distillery room that you just have everything you've ever made <laughs> on the shelf. And I'm like, there's your answer right there. Like, come on, they're, they're doing this. Look at this, you know? And uh, so I hope that there's still a nice uh, big old display. Yeah, there will definitely be a bottle. Good. Okay. <laughs> Models like the design of your models. First of all, you guys mm-hmm. have a very cool and unique shape to the bottle. You know, you can tell it's a wiggle bottle just by looking at it. And then also the name, the G hang down, and then all the little symbols and the elements and everything that you guys put into your labeling. Um, can you guys speak to that? Just kind of yeah. give us a little bit of um, the graphic design. Yeah. So we, we, ha- we actually have a segment on the show where we review. We reviewed one or two of theirs. I don't remember. I don't remember either. I've um, done 80 shows. <laughs> um, it's not that many, but okay. Um, uh, Zach does a segment when we do when we review a new, a new whiskey um, because of his, you know, uh, digital and graphic design background um, called Gorgeous. Gorgeous. And he <laughs> breaks down every single aspect of the bottle and the label and everything. Yeah. So that's, that's what's prompting his question too. Cool. So, so yes. When we started Wiggle, a lot of our design was in reaction okay. to the industry as it currently existed. Okay. And so in some ways, we probably went too far. <laughs> <laughs> but when we started, I mean, really, we were inspired by just walking down the aisles of the whiskey aisles. You know, there's so much brown parchment and eagles and hunting and none of this spoke to us <laughs> as whiskey consumers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we wanted to make a statement through design that said, we are for everyone. We want you to come in and learn. And so we really went very modern and bright um, and fun. Mm-hmm. This is the idea. Whiskey doesn't have, you don't shake off all the things you think you're supposed to know about mm-hmm. whiskey. Come in and let's just learn together. Mm-hmm. And so that was reflected definitely on our labels and the distillery design as well. Our distillery was designed by um, two women who are not whiskey consumers. And they were the only architects in town, honestly, that believed that we were actually going to do this thing. We interviewed a number and none of them would follow up with us. That they regret it now. But they, yeah, we've been with them for 10 years. Yeah, considering now they have the barrel house, have, they have threadbare, and now they're doing this giant expansion of yeah. it. Like, mm. somebody messed up. But what we loved about that was, you know, we wanted the layout of the space to flow from an education perspective. So obviously it needs to make sense from a production um, perspective, but we wanted the layout to really guide a guest through how whiskey is made. And so mm-hmm. these are architects, um, Ann Chen and Amanda Markovic from GBBN, they came in and designed it really to learn about how whiskey is made, that's awesome. and that's how it's set up. Mm-hmm. And we wanted all those bright colors and sense of fun to hit you right when you walk into the distillery when we first opened and whiskey was such a particular thing and 
so many people's minds. People would come in and be like, where are the leather chairs? Where's, you know, the oak and all where, that. Where's the smoking room? Where's yes. The, yeah. mm-hmm. and yes. We liked a little bit that people were a little off kilter because we felt like it might open them up to a wider version of what whiskey is or could be. And now that we've been in this for 10 years, you know, we've been able to evolve it a little more. So it's not quite as reactionary, I would say. Um, it's evolved as our portfolio has evolved. Yeah, and we've definitely, a lot of it now is um, reactionary to consumers. We ask consumers what they want to know on the label and then we put it on it. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, and I said it earlier today that I love the amount of detail about that specific bottle and and I, so you have one. I don't know if you were ever aware of this, but we had Alex's project for I don't know the first few years we were around. He had um, he felt very passionately that each label needed a QR code, and the QR code took you took you to a page on our website that was called What the Craft. And it had, a, it had every single thing you could possibly think to ask about the whiskey, including the mash bill, but where every grain, what farm every grain came from. We had one of, um, a writer that we went to school with wrote um, a chapter book for each batch, and each chapter was on there. It was like an incredible array of information. And then one day, we like a year of doing it, we looked at the Google Analytics to the page, and no one was coming. <laughs> Except for Alex. <laughs> there, was, there was one person who emailed when we took it down. I was like, what happened to the whiskey? <laughs> so we were like, I'm so sorry, but you so were the only one. Time. I did not know that. That's so hilarious. much time doing that. And the idea was radical transparency, and no one actually cared to that degree. But this <laughs> level of transparency, people do it. care I, about. I absolutely yeah. love it. The G is supposed to be the most, right? Well, so Wiggle was sentenced to hang mm-hmm. um, as a result of his leadership in the Whiskey Rebellion. And so he, the G sort of does reference that, but now it's also just sort of quirky off-kilter. It's wiggling on out of there. Yeah. Well, it used to look like a new. The yeah. original design used to look like a new. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it's on the distillation. Ten years was very long ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very much so, yeah. So we that... that you evolved. Yeah. <laughs> but I like how you said off-kilter. He said wiggling out because you guys are you're pushing the boundaries. You're coming yeah. outside the lines. You're changing things. So, of course, why wouldn't the label, even though you got rid of the hanging years, yeah. why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you still have the G being a little off? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You guys mentioned wanting your space to kind of feel very like welcoming and, and kind of open and fun and unique and different and stuff like that. And I got to say, um, I think I went on a tour at the distillery for the first time with my brother, with brother. Yeah. two or three years ago, two years ago, I think. Two years ago. Um, we'll call it two years ago. Um, and my first thought when I went in there was like, it's so open and colorful mm-hmm. and friendly and not threatening. Yeah. And it was just, it felt almost kind of like, like I kind of had a sense of that farm to table when yeah. I went in there kind of a thing. It felt very like togetherness, family gathering, something that Pittsburgh Whiskey Friends is all about is whiskey better, better with friends. Yeah. And it, it felt like a communal space, mm-hmm. not um, an exclusive space. Mm-hmm. So what is worth so on the welcoming thing, right? Some of the couple of last notes I have for this first episode. Um, you open up the distillery to the public, not just for tours and for, you know, coming and tasting and buying things. But you have labeling parties. Yeah. Correct? Do you want to talk about that? I would love to. My mom runs our labeling parties, and she's been doing it um, since we started production. So 
She has them every Sunday, um, brunch time, and Tuesday evening. Mm -hmm. And you can come, and we give you cocktails and snacks. Mm -hmm. And in exchange, you put labels on bottles. And this is why all the labels are crooked. Um, but they, they look pretty good. The <laughs> it gets worse and worse. We end up quite a few sample bottles. <laughs> sample only. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, those are that's how every bottle gets labeled um, because we have so many different products with so many different labels. Um, there's not really a labeling machine that could do all of this, and it's also a way that you know the community is sort of the heart and soul of Wiggle, um, and it's become it's become very much a part of the distillery culture. So we have every week somewhere between thirty and forty people come um, and. Some, you know, we try never to turn anyone away, but sometimes it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we've had a couple of marriages come out of labeling parties. Um, it's become a little bit of a dating thing. <laughs> so it's fun. Speed dating, but yeah. Yeah, better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, this first episode, I think, is going to come out on the 26th. You have a party that weekend on leap year and leap day. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, since this is going to come out before, and do you want to kind of you know talk about the the party? Sure. I think we're having that party actually at our Ross Park Mall location. Okay. We have okay. a tasting room there, nice. mm -hmm. and we are celebrating leap year birthday party. Mm -hmm. Leap year birthday. So we're having cupcakes, mm -hmm. um, and that um, whiskey. Do you want to talk about? Let's say there's a whiskey sure. that's coming yeah. out because. So it was a, a rye whiskey that we barreled four years ago on February 29th. Nice. And so we have to dump the barrel and process it mm -hmm. uh, in the morning before we open <laughs> yeah. and bottle it and label it and get it to Ross Park Mall. So <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Don't screw it up. It, um, yeah, so it's pretty exciting. It's, yeah. it's a fun little thing. And we, we have plans to fill some more barrels on this year, this year. Nice. nice. So, um, it, the warehouse, is it, so you have a four-year product coming out. Is the warehouse bonded? Like, could you ever put bottle and bond on? We've done many yeah. bottle and bonds. In fact, we have six-year whiskeys. And we, we, actually, none of the whiskeys we release are ever less, you mentioned, like, younger, all of our whiskeys are straight at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Anything coming out of a 53-gallon barrel is between four and six years, generally. Um, so if, if you haven't been to Wiggle in a while, you might be surprised at mm -hmm. what you see. Mm -hmm. Ten years is a long time. Yeah. I don't know what I'm thinking. My favorite, I don't know even why, I, even, I knew the answer to that question, because my favorite is the deep cut bottle and bottle. Right. So, of course, I know it's bottle. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> it is actually being labeled with this, the similar bottle and bottle. Label. The, 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 okay, the yeah. Here, and they'll have a, a special uh, tag notifying mm -hmm. that it is the So, you mentioned Ross Park. So, where can people find Wiggle around? Like, how many, like, you have all the different locations. So, where are they all at? Let's sum them all up. Yeah, so we have our distillery where we produce everything is in the Strip District. Um, we also have tasting rooms downtown in the Omni Million Penn Hotel. Mm -hmm. um, we have a tasting room for both Wiggle and Threadbare at Ross Park Mall. We have a cider house down the street here on Pittsburgh's north side. Wiggle also has a barrel house on the north side that's open for special events and 
um, in the summer season. Mm -hmm. And we have a wiggle location at Pittsburgh International Airport as well. I think that's it. Yes. <laughs> I was just I, at the airport and I didn't see it and I'm really mad I didn't I see it. I haven't been there in the um, I think of it as the, the party terminal. It's um, in the Southwest Corridor. Okay. Like okay. Southwest Airlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Penn Brewery, it's right next to Penn Brewery's tasting room. So it's a it's great... Been, I haven't taken a flight in a while, so I probably haven't. Great corridor to hang out. I was in. really stressed out when we were flying too. I should have done that. Yeah. That would have fixed a lot of problems. Yeah, fixed a lot of problems. Um, yeah, we're going to do some flying this year, so I'll probably be hitting that place up before we go. Uh, I do. I my wife and I'd like to go to the one downtown, oh, oh, the, yeah. the taste room downtown. And we've only gone twice, but we love it. Anytime we have a staycation or whatnot, yeah. we always end up having drinks there. Awesome. And she is just now getting into whiskey and bourbon. Yeah. She never was before. She was a vodka person, you know, and vodka soda, splash of crayon has been yeah. her drink for a while. And she did the make your own, your own oh, old fashioned. Okay. And okay. she absolutely loved every aspect of Good. it. You know, to me, and I think there was an extra little bit of love for it because she got to do all of it. Yeah. And the people, the guys and, and girls you have working down there are fantastic. We have an awesome team. And they, one of them suggested, or not suggested, but said that the one in, in William Penn was more of a cocktail mm -hmm. experimental. Like that's like kind of like where they're coming up with new things. Is that correct? We call the um, teaching room downtown Wiggle Fancy. <laughs> we have currently, although the distillery, the renovated distillery is going to give them a run for their money. <laughs> they like to boast, the team there likes to boast that they have the nicest glassware. They have... Um, the nicest stuff generally because we don't trust any nice stuff in the any like glassware that mm -hmm. kind of thing in the distillery because those distillers they just they will they terrorize nice things <laughs> um, but now that we have our own dedicated bar space mm -hmm. at the distillery we will um have a bar program similar mm -hmm. to what we have at the army i do have one question one final question do you have space for a graphic designer and an educator <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should check out i mean absolutely you should we're always we have 150 people who work for wiggle and director combined and we are generally always on the lookout for really talented people um 150 well people who are paid yes all right zach i've enjoyed the, this part one of our uh our sit down with, with them at now, I'm looking forward to, to part two. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, the only other thing to do across the show, close out the show is just Zachary, sir. Cheers to you. John, cheers to you. And, and cheers, cheers to you. To you.